I want to ask you a question. I want you to be honest. Have you ever used anything for a purpose different than it was originally intended for? Like, have you ever used your car keys to dig earwax out? <laughs> I know, I know. It's disgusting, but you've done it before. I know you have. Now, I don't have any personal experience in this, but I've heard that women sometimes, after they put on mascara, take a very sharp object like a stick pin to separate their eyelashes. Have anybody ever done that before? Not any different than a man who takes his pocket knife to, to wedge two pieces apart from each other while holding it in his hand. Have you ever done that before? You know, when we do stuff like that and, and use things for a purpose outside of the original design, then, then people get hurt very often. And things don't very, uh, end well. And, and that's why uh, uh, businesses will often put these very strange warning labels on their products. I don't know if you've noticed this before. If you look at a bottle of Windex, it says very clearly, warning, don't spray in your eyes. Okay, why? Why do you have that on there? Well, because somebody thought, I wonder what happens when you spray this in your eyes. So they've got to tell you not to do stuff like that. I've actually seen on a washing machine a label that says, do not put any person inside the washing machine. Okay? And if you look at your lawnmower, it probably has a warning on the gas tank that says, do not light match to test fuel level. <laughs> we laugh at that. When I was in the hospital, we treated people who were severely burned because they did something like that. That's because when we do things that are outside of the intended design, people get hurt, and it doesn't end well. It's true in our world, and it's true in Scripture. Over the last couple of Sundays, we have talked about God's design and His purpose for marriage and what it was intended for. And we talked about how Scripture is like the owner's manual from the creator of that relationship to guide and direct us on how it's supposed to work and what we do to protect it. And when we follow that instruction, it goes well. But when we operate outside of His design, people get hurt. And it just doesn't end well. As I thought about this Sunday and what we've talked about the last two Sundays I kind of changed up an order of what I originally intended because I assumed that there were people who were listening and they were saying to themselves, boy, I like what you're hearing about this perfect design of marriage and what God intended. And that all sounds great, but that's not what my marriage looks like. In fact, if God's design is so good, then why is marriage so hard? And I want you to know that is a great question. And I'm going to answer that question this morning through what we'll look at in Scripture together. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we know that you have a purpose and design in all things. We recognize that the only reason things don't end well or people get hurt is when we choose not to follow that design. Help us to see this morning why things are hard and why it's worth fighting for to be different than, than what the world would say so that we can experience what you originally intended. That's our hope and prayer. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you would, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, as you're turning there, let me remind you that we ended Genesis chapter 2 
verses 24 and 25, where the, Moses is describing what God instituted in that marriage relationship between one man and one woman for a lifetime. And we talked about how there was perfection and purity within that relationship where they were naked and unashamed. They were fully known and truly loved. But now we're going to go into Genesis chapter 3 where everything changes. Let's look at that together. Verse 1, Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Everything changes. I want you to look back in chapter 3, verse 1, where it talks about this crafty serpent. And I want you to recognize that he is ultimately crafty because of his effort to disrupt God's design. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. So what did he do? He said to the woman. You see, Satan intentionally separates the woman from her husband and gives her a role of authority that God has not designed her to have in that marriage relationship by putting her purposefully in a position of headship. He places the woman in a role that was different than what God intended. Having given her priority over her husband, Satan then lures Eve into the trap of questioning the character of God. Look at what he says at the last of verse or chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? <laughs> what a crafty servant. Do you see what he did here? He overstated the restriction of God's laws to make them feel like he was inhibiting their freedom. He's not going to let you eat from any tree of the garden? That doesn't seem fair. But that's not what God said, is it? In fact, if you look back in chapter 2, verse 16, you're going to see that God said just the opposite. He emphasized not the restriction but the freedom. Look at verse 16. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat from it, you will surely die. Eat freely from any tree with only only one exception. And that exception I give you for your protection. See, Satan twisted the truth. He has begun to plant a seed of doubt in the minds of Adam and Eve. 
And Eve, unfortunately, takes the bait. And she begins to add compromise as well. Look at verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the tree which is in the middle of the garden, he said, You shall not eat. All that's true. But then look at what she says as well. Or touch it, lest you die. That was not what God had said. She is adding to what God said. And I believe she is doing so because she's following the trap set by, to, for her by Satan to emphasize the restrictions. And so she adds more to what God had already said. And notice also that she speaks on behalf of the relationship. She says, we. Now there's only two people at this point in time, so the we is her and her husband. She follows the temptation to overemphasize the restriction of God's instruction in an effort to cause them to doubt God's goodness. Now Satan has her just where he wants her. He now causes her to to question the character of God. Look at verse 4. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely won't die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, God has already caused them to focus on the restriction of God's commands. And that now He attaches motive to God's actions. Basically saying, you know, God's not being real honest with you. He's just saying this to kind of keep you under control, but, but you could actually do better. That word for, for God in, in the Hebrew text, verse 5, is really, it's Elohim. It can mean multiple gods. And what he's saying here is that you can do better than what you're currently experiencing. And I want you to notice, as he makes this proposal, he eliminates all consideration of the negative consequences of their decision. He speaks only of what they might gain and never mentions what they would lose. The implication here is very clear. You can do this and get away with it. Now let me ask you, Men, women, boys, and girls, how many times have you heard the very same lie whispered in your ear as well? You can do it. And you can get away with it. You see, his tactics haven't changed. He may be crafty, but he's not all that creative. He's doing the same thing over and over again. And what happens next in the garden is his ultimate goal, both then and now as well. Notice how Eve takes we out of the conversation and replaces it with I as she turns to herself in verse 6. It says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was delight to the eyes, to her eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, her, she took from it and ate. And she gave it also to her husband with her, and he ate. She saw that it was good for food. She saw that it was a delight to her eyes. She saw that it would give her wisdom, something that rightfully belonged to God that she wanted to be a part of as well. John will describe this in his first letter as as a trilogy of a temptation. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
in the sinful pride of life. Seeking to be satisfied by things outside of the instruction of God. Reaching for pleasure outside the boundaries that God has created for our protection. The focus has shifted from God's provision to my needs. Eve is vulnerable, I believe to be true, because she has stepped outside of the boundaries of God's design. But I also want you to notice that Satan is having the same tactic with Adam as well. Notice, as we read this passage, Satan never directly addresses Adam, does he? But apparently, he was there all along. He just simply ignores his presence. And he puts Adam, by, in doing so, by, into a subordinate role that Adam willingly accepts. So instead of stepping forward to protect the relationship as God had designed him to do, Adam chose to remain silent, and he never said a word. His passive response indicates that he also was tempted to have selfish gain that distracted him from the priority of the relationship that God had created between a husband and a wife. Adam knew the right thing to do but he willfully chose to do something outside of God's design. I know that to be true because of what's said in 1 Timothy. I put it up on the screen so you don't need to turn there, but let me read to you what it says. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being quite deceived, fell into transgression. Now, I want you to know up front that this is not putting the blame on the shoulders of Eve as some might suggest that it does. In fact, it is written in the context of the importance of headship within the marriage relationship. And essentially what God is saying is that bad things happen when you don't follow the design and man does not accept his full responsibility of authority in the relationship to protect what God created. You see, Eve was deceived, but Adam knew what was right and chose to do something different. That's why Romans 5.12 says that through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. See, both Adam and Eve were guilty. They both made a choice, but Adam was held responsible and the consequences of their decision were immediate right look at verse 7 it says then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings they were naked but now they are ashamed guilt and sin has entered into the world and the first reaction of husband and wife was to hide their true self from the other. They were ashamed. They were afraid. And their relationship would never quite be the same. You see, selfishness had destroyed the purity of their love. So let me tell you, if you want to know why marriage is so hard, and not just for your marriage, but for all marriages... If you want to know why it's so hard, this is it. 
This is why. Because we have to overcome this same obstacle. And, and sin not only affected the relationship that they shared as husband and wife, it disrupted the relationship that they had with God as well. Look at verse 8. It said, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman you gave to me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate it. So why did God go to the man to ask the question? Because he's responsible. It's one of the ways that we look at what God created as a validation of the headship. He went to the man because the man was responsible. But why did he ask all those questions? (laughs) Did he not know? Was he trying to get information? Absolutely not. God is all-knowing, always has been, always will be. The reason for his questions was to elicit a confession. Adam needs to recognize his sin and his failure to guard the relationship God had given him to protect. But what was Adam doing? He was hiding because he was fearful. Because sin had not only corrupted the relationship between he and his wife, but also between him and God. Trust was now replaced with blame. You notice what he did. Ultimately, he said, God, this is your fault. This is your idea, and she made me do it. Do you see what he said? Eve doesn't necessarily do much better. Look at verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. She blamed someone else as well. Neither one of them took responsibility for the decision that they made. And let me explain to you what has happened here. God is the creator of all things. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. There is an ultimate authority And that authority belongs to Him. And by this authority, God created order and purpose in the marriage relationship. Then Satan enters in and maneuvers Adam and Eve to operate outside of God's design. God gave man and woman certain roles in a marriage and Satan purposefully confused them. He lured them to a place of compromise by inviting them to doubt in the goodness of God's plan. Once they believed that that God's instruction was inhibiting their freedom, they shifted their worship to what God promised to provide, to what they might be able to achieve on their own apart from Him. And that's where sin enters the world. In the words of Paul's letter to the Romans, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Choosing to worship and serve the creature instead of the Creator who is to be blessed forever. 
sin introduced humanity to death, where once there was life, to pain, where once there was pleasure, to a toil for survival, where once there was obedience, to conflict in relationships, where once there was undistracted fellowship. Sin changed everything. So if you've been wondering why marriage, or for that matter, any relationship is so hard, this is the reason why. We simply cannot experience what God has created as He intended it to be when we willfully choose to operate outside of His design. People get hurt, and it doesn't end well. Remember, Satan's crafty, but he's not all that creative. And what happened in the garden is repeated over and over again, even to this day. And the progression is very often the same. Isolation, confusion, and disruption. Isolation, confusion, and disruption. Let me show you what I mean. We've already established through the testimony of what Scripture has to say that it is not good for man to be alone, right? But what does Satan do? He enters into our lives and he tempts us to pull away from the protection of community and relationships. Just this last Sunday, one of the men who's in the discipleship group that I'm a part of asked a very good question. He said, he said Todd, based on what you've seen in marriages and, and kind of what's going on in our church, what do we need to hear most? What's, what's the most important thing? What is the biggest threat to marriages? And I believe this is it. The threat to be isolated. You see, most every marriage crisis that I've ever encountered included a couple who became increasingly isolated from the protection of fellowship within the body of Christ. They listened to that temptation of Satan and they pulled away. Now, I'm not suggesting that those who live in community don't struggle in their marriages. That is not a true statement, okay? But here's the difference. When we live within the context of authentic relationships, what we struggle with as being common in our marriage relationship is prevented from becoming a crisis that's hard to recover from. You see the difference? It's not all that different than, than when I was at the hospital and worked in the cancer center, and I bet I heard the doctor say a hundred times, if we catch it early, if we detect cancer early in the stage, then our chances of effective treatment are very good. But if it remains hidden for a long period of time and goes throughout the body, then we don't have a lot that we can do. The same is true in our relationships. Healthy relationships depend on transparent honesty. And when you hide your heart from others, you're only hurting yourself. God created marriage to be the place where we are fully known and truly loved. But that only works when our identity is found in Christ alone. Being secure in God's love is the basis of any biblical marriage. 
being secure in that relationship with God is what allows us to give freely in our relationship with our spouse. And, and when we do, it can be described like this author said. She said, a biblical marriage includes the inexpressible comfort of being safe with a person. Having neither to weigh thoughts or measure words, but pouring them all right out just as they are, chaff and grain together. It's certain that a faithful hand will take and sift them, keep what's worth, what's worth keeping, and then with a breath of kindness, blow the rest away. That's what it's supposed to look like. Remember, to be fully known and truly loved is the greatest love of all. It's not good for man to be alone. And love is dependent on being known. But if Satan can isolate you, then he can then begin to confuse you. And that's what he'll do. In God's design, we've already said, marriage is created with order and purpose. And there is tremendous freedom within God's design. But Satan enters in. As he pulls you away, he begins to whisper things that are not true. Things like, marriage shouldn't be this hard. You just married the wrong person. You deserve something better than this. In fact, maybe you should just divorce and move on because after all, God wants you to be happy. But He always leaves out the consequences to these decisions. He fails to mention the pain of a broken family. He ignores the joy-stealing burden of unforgiveness. And he doesn't even consider God's infinite power to redeem. Satan just wants to confuse us so that getting out of the relationship always sounds better than staying in. But that's his trap. It's the same pattern that started in the garden. Isolate you from truth and then feed you with lies. He may be crafty, but he's not very creative. Instead of turning to God for his direction, when we listen to Satan, we end up following the advice of the world. And that message is loud and clear. You need to do what's best for you. This is the garden all over again. Isolation, confusion. And then deception. You see, God designed the marriage relationship to be more important than any one individual. Remember, that's the covenant promise that we make. But when Satan is involved, he wants us to believe that the most important person in a relationship is me. Is me. And it starts subtle. I can justify that it's really important for me to get established in my career. Because we need to get our feet on the ground and then I can put more time into our marriage. But then the next thing you know, we have kids. And so I justify that it's really important for us to invest our time in the kids. And once they're out of the house, then I can really focus on loving my spouse. But over time, with these kinds of compromises, our spouse becomes more like a roommate. And the relationship is important only as it benefits me. 
But that's not what God intended. In fact, he often speaks to us in paradox, doesn't he? When he talks about how the humble will be exalted, how those who wish to save their life must lose it. I believe there's a similar principle in a marriage relationship, and that is that you experience the love that you want in proportion to how much you're willing to give it away. That's his design. So let me ask you, are you giving your love away? Are you saying no to your needs in order to meet the needs of someone else? Or do you hold love hostage, refusing to set it free until your personal demands are being met? We do that. But that's not the way God designed it to be. We must learn to trust that God has created marriage with order and purpose. And no one person is sufficient in and of themselves, but God is sufficient to meet our every need. See, His love doesn't limit us. It sets us free. It allows us to, to give to someone else out of the overflow of the love that we receive from Him. But it all comes down to trust. And so in the words of the psalmist, let me invite you to consider this week the words that he said when he said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And blessed are those who take refuge in Him. Trust in His design. Believe in His good heart and His desire for good things. So that we can experience all the goodness of what he created in the relationships that he's given us. Let me pray for our time. Father, we do thank you that you are a good God who gives good things. And that's why we give you glory. is because we experience the fullness of what you've created. And the only right response is gratitude, thankfulness, praise and worship of the one from whom all good things come. Father, forgive us for taking things into our own hands and in ways doubting the goodness that you have by following the temptation of Satan to to isolate ourselves from relationships and community, to be fed a steady diet of lies that we begin to believe and distrust the character of the one who created us until we ultimately Put aside what you've promised to take matters into our own hands and choose to do what we think is best for us. Father, help us all to come back to you, to taste and see that you are good and that we are blessed when we take refuge in you. May that be our heart this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen.